American dream. You run your own business. But running a business turns out to be more than you thought. It's a pain in the neck. You're not getting where you want to go. You're not getting what you want to get. And you're working 97 hours a week. We're here to help you fix that. This is the Small Business Celebration Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Roberts, and on this podcast, you can learn something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. Corinna Carilla Claxton, owner of the House of Beauty in Bakersfield, California, wrote this five-star review on iTunes about the Small Business Celebration Podcast. When I heard about this podcast, I was intrigued. I listened to one episode and soon realized I was on episode four without knowing it. Small Business Celebration has me hooked. Look forward to more and highly recommend this podcast. Today we're recording this episode at Your Office Solution here at 430 18th Street here in Bakersfield, California, 93301. You want to go ahead and give Yvonne Ludwig a call at 661-695-6916. And our guest today is Tim McCorkle with Impacts Automation LLC. Welcome to the Small Business Celebration podcast, Tim. Thank you. Tell us, Tim, what is Impacts Automation and what is it that you do? Impacts Automation started as an idea in a garage of my first home in Bakersfield. And primarily what we do is machine design. We do automated packaging machinery. We work actively on projects for customers to reduce their labor and repetitive task projects or repetitive task scenarios, anything that they can use to eliminate injuries or reduce their labor. We also have a service side of our business where we work for oil and gas companies, ag, industrial, and we perform services such as PLC work or communications, instrumentation, and we have an electrical construction side of the business as well. So anything from oil and gas and ag irrigation to commercial construction. When you deal with automation, you're thinking, or some of us think of the long conveyor belts with machines that pick this up and move that there and assemble products and things. Is that the kind of thing that you're currently doing? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And ours is not particularly grand from the standpoint that we're not building huge facilities and plants, but ours is really tailored towards fresh produce packaging. Mm -hmm. And in that environment, not a lot of the manufacturers of that type of machinery have come to California to, to kind of tackle the fresh produce world. It's In the past, it's been easier for them to stay in the Midwest with big facilities, big manufacturing, and those big dollars that get spent on those. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's competition, but in California, specifically around fresh produce, it's a challenge to do things with automation. So in order to build these kinds of things, your customers are the ones that are looking, for example, let's say a strawberry owner or a strawberry farmer. They're looking for a kind of package that their employees can go ahead, put the strawberries into, and then ship it? Or what is the kind of packaging yeah, our, that you're our, looking to do? Our machinery is really, we call it bag in, in box. Mm. And that's what we started. It was the first machine we ever built. Put bags into boxes. It sounds really simple until you try to do it. (laughs) Um, And the fact is, I work for a large operation here in town and um, kind of combed the country, really, looking for machinery that would do just that, specific to the fresh produce environment, and and couldn't really find anything. Hmm. Uh, So that was really the impetus for the whole company, was based around, hey, I think that we can build this. We should try to build one. I mean, that was just 26-year-old youth and... You didn't and, know any and, better. Yeah, excitement, <laughs> but uh, I didn't know that it was going to turn out like this. You built the first one in your garage. 
Yeah, we, yes. The, the first machine was effectively prototyped in my garage, and then uh, we shortly thereafter, I say we, I'm, I have a business partner, Anton Holte, and we've been in business together for a long time. And it's his, it was his design, really, that got us launched into business. And, you know, I can remember we were at a trade show in Las Vegas looking for machinery, trying to come up with an idea. We thought we, 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 thought we had this idea, right? We had this, the golden ticket. We knew we were going to build this machine <laughs> and we were going to get rich. And, and we kind of got stuck and we didn't really know how to progress this design. And we thought, man, I don't, I'm not so sure that this is going to work. I can remember him walking. We walked to the, the floor of the show in Las Vegas and all of a sudden he just said, hey, I got it. I'm, we're good. We can leave now. And I said, what do you mean you got it? He said, yeah, I, I got it. I, we're good. And he did. I mean, he, in his mind, he had, it had just come to him how we were going to do it. And we went back to the hotel room. He sketched it on paper, and well, that was the end of that. We built our first machine in a little shop. Actually, I can still see our first shop from the shop that we're in now. Uh-huh. And another funny sidebar story, I can remember being in our first little shop. It was like 800 square feet. It had an office. If the one guy backed in out of his chair, you'd hit the <laughs> other guy. I can remember seeing this building just... I shot away and it was just, it was a nice building. It was on a nice lot and it was just a great space. And I can remember thinking to myself, how do you ever get (laughs) into a building like that? And I mean, just, you know, God being what it is and irony being funny. That's the building that we're in right now. So it's kind of, it's a weird story. How did you take that, that drawing on a piece of paper in a hotel room in Las Vegas and actually turn it into something I don't, I don't know. That's a great question. <laughs> uh, we built a lot of stuff that didn't work. We cobbled together a bunch of stuff every once in a while. I think we still have a box in our shop that's got a bunch of weird parts. I think there may be like some skateboard wheels and <laughs> some just some random junk that it, it's like you look at it and you just kind of laugh like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that we even thought about that. But I, I mean, I'm a mechanical engineer by, by degree. Mm-hmm. Um, my business partner's a mechanical engineer. And, you know, we were both fairly handy. We, we both had access to, and we spent, you know, our money uh, investing in software to do machine design, 3D modeling. We bought a 3D printer in like 2005 when nobody had a 3D printer. It was, turned out to be a real <laughs> waste of money. But we thought it was going to be this, you know, we were going to use it for prototyping parts. And we did. And we always laughed at some of the first machines that we that one of the first machines that we used to prototype our design had a bunch of plastic parts that we thought, man, this thing's going to fall apart and it lasted forever. Wow. But we, you know, we invested in some technology with our own money. We were working effectively day jobs to, to pay for this night job hobby. At one time, Anton would, we would get home from work. He would come over to my house like after dinner and then we'd work on designing this machine until we couldn't stay awake anymore. Then do it all over again. Now that you designed this thing, how did you sell it? You know, that's the, that's an interesting question too. It's actually really what spawned the rest of our business because we didn't really sell it. Hmm. As it were, the intention that we had for this machine was to go, we, we had exactly our thought where it was going to go. Well, it didn't work like that. That company got acquired. They froze all the capital. So, you know, we thought we were kind of finished at that point. We thought we had come all this way to build a machine that was going to make us rich and the one company really that we only knew and we only had access to sell it to was not in the position to buy this. Mm. And um, turns out that another company did. I mean, Grimway Farms bought our first machine. Wow. Um, they had to you know, invest in us and trust that we 
we're going to actually deliver them something that worked, which thinking back on it is a pretty sizable leap of faith for a, a company of their size to, to give us any kind of chance or credibility. So, Especially to two 20-something-year-olds that were designing something on a napkin in a, or on a piece of paper. In a yeah, I mean, six, six months prior, we, you know, it didn't exist. So for them to roll the dice on that was pretty, I feel like that was a pretty unprecedented thing at the time. From this, you went ahead and you developed further, and the project obviously worked with, for Grimway. Sure. So the funny thing is we, haven't, we don't sell this. It, we literally don't sell that. I, I made the constant decision I didn't want to go on the road. I didn't want to go sell stuff all over the, the country. And right. Neither of us had really the desire. We both have kids. I have five kids. He has five kids. So I didn't want to go do that. I didn't right. want to travel up and down the state. I didn't want to stay in at hotels. I didn't want to be away from my family. So really, we sold a number of machines to Grimway, a number of systems to them that are still in their plant today, and we still sell them machines from time to time. We've sold some other machines to some other companies. But really, that was the catalyst to say, what are we going to do now? Because we both quit our jobs. We don't want to go on the road. I'm not sure whose idea this was from the beginning, you know, why are we even doing this? We need to figure out how to make a business and fast. Otherwise, we're both going to be out of a job. Right. That spawned the service side of our business. How we, we kind of took what we started with and said, how do we service? First of all, how do we service our own machines? Mm. We've got an install base of machines. We have nobody to do the service work. And then what does that look like? You know, could we develop long-term service relationships with customers here in the Valley? What kind of service business do we want to be in? That's really how our business had unrolled to date. You've developed a reputation from the success that you had at Grimway, which led to the word getting out to other customers that came to you for additional systems that are unique to them and their needs, which I think sounds like is the key to the growth and success of your business is because you tailor-make the machines that you guys develop for the clients and then what their needs are. Yeah, we still build machinery, but it has become a very much of a side part of our business. It's almost an entity unto itself, and it's very kind of it's reactionary from the standpoint that it's driven by a handful of customers who we do work for. In recent years, we've had some systems that didn't work. I mean, right. those are the things that you regret, you know, when you look back on Really, all that became was a platform for us to launch a different business, right. one, one that we had no idea we were going to get into. Really? So it's a, that's, that's a strange evolution, particularly for mechanical engineers to be in the electrical automation programming space. It was an interesting shift. Imagine having fun learning comprehensive firearms training indoors on Kern County's largest interactive firearms virtual simulator. Triple Threat Solutions offers affordable, comprehensive firearms training that is the same caliber for you and your employees as they train law enforcement officers. Call Roosevelt Scott with Triple Threat Solutions today at 661-374-1180 and sign up for a private session in his state-of-the-art laser virtual shooting range for only $45. For one hour, you and three of your employees can use his state-of-the-art indoor air-conditioned laser virtual shooting range for only $45. Call Triple Threat Solutions today at 661-374-1180 or go to triplethreatsolutions.net. That's Triple Threat Solutions at 661-374-1180 or go to triplethreatsolutions.net. We're here with Tim McCorkle, the owner of Impacts Automation LLC, and we're talking about the development of his business, more specifically 
tailoring what he does or what his company can do for his customers' needs specifically. How did you capitalize on this growing success? Because development of this kind of thing is not cheap. You had originally started developing all this equipment and all this engineering out of your own money. What strategies or what did you guys do in order to extend capital or attain capital or be able to grow your business to the next step out of the garage into the facility you're in now? You know, I don't think there's any a real magical secret. I think that the reality is we grew fairly slow. Mm. I mean, I think that's really the magic answer. We didn't have any funding. We didn't have any capital backing. We didn't have a line of credit. We just grew slowly. Mm-hmm. We figured out what kind of business we thought we could get into based on the success of, of building a, a machine that was automated. So we were kind of in that automation space where, and this was, you know, 2000. Six, seven. We were kind of a little bit early to that, and so we thought we can kind of capitalize on being in the automation world. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, well, we should probably try to hire some people to do some of this automation, service customers. Well, the good news about th- that industry is that it's fairly broad uh, from the standpoint of that oil and gas need the same kind of people that the larger food and beverage guys do. And, you know, here in the Valley, those are your big players, right? Right, right. That slow growth looked like hiring a few people and getting out and marketing the fact that we wanted to be in the automation business and we wanted to leverage some of the success that we had and to grow the relationships that we'd made. Part of that was to, in order to finance our, the startup of our business, we were both working in, in engineering firms. We had started to develop relationships in the community. Mm. I had worked in construction in the past, so I had some experience in the oil field. We did a lot of things that kind of put us in front of people who were influential and who we could use to help connect us and, and not use from the standpoint of, of taking advantage of those relationships, but really deep friendships that were helpful. I mean, that, that helped us. I mean, that's the simple part of this whole thing. You don't get to do any of this if you don't have help somehow. One of the things I also noticed that you also did is you leveraged your customer base and you figured that out very, very quickly. Why is leveraging your customer base so key to the growth of the slow and steady growth of your business? Well, you don't want to have a thousand customers because you just can't. I mean, I, maybe you do. I don't. Uh, <laughs> you can't service that many customers, but you can't have just one. Mm. And so you have to figure out what you're doing that for a customer or the work that you're doing for the customer to figure out how you can add to that without completely retooling your business or having to create an entirely different identity for your business. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're in the automation space, so it didn't make sense for us to go and try to be a pipe welding contractor. Right. It made sense for us to expand, you know, maybe one or two concentric circles away from what we were doing. So, you know, right now we're doing programming and automation and instrumentation. Well, you know, is that really that different from being more in the electrical construction part of the business? Not really, Mm -hmm. particularly if we're working next to those trades. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we thought, well, we should explore that. And that's kind of, that's been the natural progression of our business is let's explore those things that are right next to us while we're working or, you know, the trades and the types of people and skill sets that are working next to us and say, is that a business? Is that an area that we'd like to grow? And then let's maybe explore that by doing it kind of carefully and calculated. You know, it's, it's all risk, but you know, we try to be not cavalier with it. 
You also talked about concentric circles, about growing out your business. And one of the things that you are doing is you're diversifying, but being as practical as possible. What is practicable and what does that mean? I, I, I laugh because practicable came from a really smart guy that I worked for. Super smart. And he always had goofy words like practicable. <laughs> um, what does practicable mean? It literally means to put something into practice successfully. And he always used it instead of saying possible because in this context, being as diversified as possible is too broad of a statement and opens too many doors that there's too many options. And being mm. diverse as possible means you say yes to too many things. The whole practical or practicable side of it means I can't do that. So I can't do all those things and I can't do that successfully. How many things can we do to be diverse that practically achievable? Sure. And back to my, my statement around being an automation contractor or being in the automation business and, and then trying to go out and do something completely different just because there's an opportunity. Um, solar is a great example. Mm-hmm. We're not in the solar business. Right. Uh, there's, there's too many people in that space. It's not, it doesn't make sense for us to try to get into that. We just don't have the kind of, or, or, or we're not going to go and just bolt on any kind of business or reach at anything that seems like it got a free ticket. I mean, in everything for business, there's, there's no get rich quick scheme. I mean, if there right. is, maybe there are, but not for me, there hasn't been. It sounds like what you have done is you and your partner have gone through and very intentionally picked your North Star. This is the direction we're going. These are the things we're interested in. This is the kinds of things that we're developing. This is how we're taking care of our customers. And you're going in a very specific direction, which allows you to say no to a lot of other things that would interfere with that, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And it sounds, I mean, when we back up and look at it, it sounds like it was way more intentional and structured <laughs> than, than, it really, than it really was. Because in most cases, it seems like we're flying by the seat of our pants, but there is some structure. There is some intentionality around it and we've done our best to try to, to maintain that. So yeah, I mean, the, the easy answer is yes, it does. It is intentional, but it, it doesn't look like it close up. What piece of advice would you give for people going into business and married life? Get married. Don't go into business. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Well, I mean, I say that jokingly, but you really have to want it. You really have to want to be in business. Mm. I'm sure other people said that. It's, it's not like magic. But certainly being, I mean, to your comment on marriage and business, certainly get married first, go into business second, because you need, you need a business partner at home. You need a life partner. You need a spouse, a husband or wife that is just as supportive of you when it's bad as when it's good. And it, for us and our business, it's, there have been times when it's been really bad and you need somebody that's with you. You need somebody that's on your team that, that is always going to be on your team. That's not going to uh, rate you or judge you by your business any more than you would. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somebody who's going to be on your team. And, is, and, you know, my wife has said, if we live in a cardboard box, that's okay. Right. And, and you need someone to tell you that because if you come home and, and stuff's not going right or if it's failing, you don't need or you, you may not be able to cope with that additional pressure of letting your family down. You need that person to tell you it's okay to fail. Hello, Visioneers. How would you like free exposure for you and your company to go through the roof? 
Like, comment, and share at least 10 small business celebration posts this month on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Visioner Heidi Forsyth of Bakersfield College did just that on a recent post of ours with John Paul Lake. Heidi asked John Paul an insightful question on our post of him. He answered, and the number of views on that post went through the roof. Now, even more people know about Heidi because of her one intelligent question. Be a visioneer like Heidi. Like, comment, and share a small business celebration post on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook today. We're here with Tim McCorkle, the owner of Impacts Automation. You're also an avid fisherman. What kind of fisherman are you? I love to fly fish. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Uh, because it feeds all of the weird nuances about tying flies. Well, I don't tie flies. I'm, I've, I've started to tie flies. <laughs> um, that's like that's a whole other level of ADHD stuff. Well, there's a whole art to that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some just gorgeously stunning. And you know they spend a lot of time and a lot of focus on making those flies. Yeah, the detail. I mean, if you're an engineer, you like things that have pieces to it and intricate and detailed. And you see the art marry with the design and the, the science and the art is a cool, it's, it's a cool marriage. And I think that happens pretty well in fly fishing. A fly rod is got a, just an incredible amount of engineering and research and testing behind it. But when you look at it, it looks like a pretty simple device. The reels are machined and, and they're beautiful. They're works of art. You, know, you get to play with all that stuff. So sure. you know, that's, that, I mean, the gear alone is worth getting into fly fishing because it's just cool. <laughs> One of the things that your wife does a lot is reading. And she's a prolific reader. And she's also your filter for books that she says that you should read. I get, she's my Cliff, Cliff, Cliff's Notes, Cliff Notes, is that what it is? Okay, sure. But one of the books that she recommended was Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. Yeah. Tell us why was this book very influential for you? It's a great book. It has a lot of, and it it also had a lot of her notes in it. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was really cool. So I do get a lot of my reading filter from my wife, Courtney. I, I read this book because it really helped me identify or helped me to, I should say, helped me to examine what, how I identified with work. Mm. Uh, and I say that, I'm not trying to beat around the bush, but really my identity was my career. And for guys, that's a, that's a real common problem. But particularly for business owners, you really get, it's really like it takes on its own life and your business takes on its own you take on your business as a part of your life and it's, you can't separate yourself from it. And it is your identity. And something happened along the way that made you recognize this. What was that? Well, a lot of things happened along the way that humble you. And then, and then you get through them and you kind of forget that experience and it was really bad, but you made it through. So you, you tend to still think that you can do it on your own or that you really might be the, the next best thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say several years ago, we ran into a, a severe problem. Uh, a customer of ours declared bankruptcy. Uh, another customer, a large customer or a customer that we did a large project for, failed to pay us uh, a single dollar uh, on, a, on a fairly sizable job. And, and we were really staring down the barrel of, are we going to be able to keep the doors open on mm. this place? We didn't have deep pockets. We didn't have deep banking relationships necessarily. But we were certainly in business, and we certainly had bills to pay. And that was a real kind of earth-shaking experience. Uh, it was one of those ones where you really, you just, you don't sleep. All you can think about is, how is this going to work out? I don't see, I don't see light at the end of the tunnel here. I just, I see 
this is going to be bad. What happened that allowed you to, to change things? Two things. One is coming to grips with the fact that I'm not my business and that it's not about me and that if it failed and if it went away, that I'm not a failure and that I'm not identified by my business. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You know? So at that time, I would have said I'm holding my business with a closed grip. It's mine. No one can take it from me. I control it. But the reality is I don't control it. The only person that does is God, and I'm beholden to him. I hold this with an open hand, and that's a choice. I can pretend that I somehow control it, but I don't. So I'm just holding it with an open hand and say I'm going to do my very best job. But if it all goes away, that's okay too. I had turned my business into an idol. And one of the things that Tim Keller talks about in this book, and it's a spectrum, and it's kind of how I see the culture. It's how I want the culture of our business to be. There's a spectrum um, from idleness or being idle to idolatry, right? Mm. So it's this sense of, like, if I'm idle, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. I would consider idleness in the workplace as the person that says, I, I'm just kind of putting in my time. You know, I, that's not the culture that we want. That's not the culture anybody wants. But on the other side of that is I'm defined by my work. It's the most important thing. I derive my self-worth from it. My success or failure in the workplace as a business owner or as an employee defines how I view myself. That's where I was. Mm. And when it gets taken away from you or when you think it's going to go away, that's a crushing experience if you don't have any hope. And the reality is my hope comes from the Lord. That's the hope I have. It's not in my business. What is one thing that Vision Your Nation could do today to grow a strong and profitable business? Well, I didn't say this. I didn't say the second thing. The reason that we actually didn't close the doors was I had a great relationship with a local bank. Now that seems, that might just seem really like a pat answer. But the reality is if you don't have a great relationship with your local bank, you're in big trouble as a small mm. business. How so? Because the big banks don't care. They just don't. And they might be great institutions and they might have great people in the, in the community that work there and they may be really well intended, but their structure is not to, they, they are not structured to lend or to establish lines of credit with small businesses. They're just mm. not. And how have you worked? I had a local, I had a, I'm sorry. I didn't sure, mean no, it's all right. Go ahead. I, I had a, a, a big bank, I'm not going to mention the bank, but I had a big bank tell me I needed a line of credit. And, you know, we had collateral and we had a book of business and we, we had, we were showing profitability. I mean, everything was, was going the way it should have gone. And I had a bank come and solicit our business. Hey, we want to be your bank. We've got all these great products and services. And I'm like, why do you even care? Or, I mean, we're just like nobodies. We thought, oh, great. You know, big bank, they want to do this. They want to help us out. So we said, Cool. We got all signed up, converted accounts and payroll and all this stuff. It came time to get the line of credit. And I'm like, hey, guys, let's, let's start that line of credit. And uh, you know what? We're, we, really, you know, we really don't. <laughs> we're not big into like the contracting space. It's kind of that's risky for us. I'll tell you what. Uh, if, if you could, um, wh- what we're going to need for a line of credit is for you to probably have around, say, $5 million in the bank. But just to secure that. I said, did you read the application for our line of credit? Because it's actually, if I had $5 million in the bank, I mean, this is the obvious answer. I wouldn't be coming to you for a line of credit. Right. Needless to say, that relationship dissolved. But we have a relationship with the local bank. That relationship has been, from 
from a strictly numbers and business relationship type perspective, the black and white nuts and bolts of every day of your business, that's one of the best things we've ever done. But a good relationship with a banker goes beyond that, beyond just the nuts and bolts and the black and white. Why is that relationship with the banker so important to you? Because locally they know what you do. Mm. They see the business that you're doing and they know that for the most part, they know the customers you're working for. So they see both ends of the transaction. I mean, they know your type of business. They understand if there's a demand for it. They see the work you're doing. They, in some cases, they can go to the places where you're doing the work and they're in the community and they know the customer. They, they can connect all those dots. Obviously you have to have collateral. You have to be able to, to tolerate that risk. You have to be able to put yourself, be exposed in some way. Otherwise there's nothing in it for them. But they're able to look a lot more subjectively at your operation than a, a large bank is willing to even do. For me, that's, that's been the hugest part of sustaining our business. To be able to grow, to have the access to that capital, that's been a huge thing. We couldn't, we couldn't be in business. I've said this to, I've told them this. I would not be in business if it were not for, for that bank because I, I could have never grown or survived or sustained any growth. Tim, thank you very much for being on the Small Business Celebration podcast. You've given a lot of great wisdom and insight, and we thank you very much for being on board. Absolutely. My pleasure. Imagine having fun learning comprehensive firearms training indoors on Kern County's largest interactive firearms virtual simulator. Triple Threat Solutions offers affordable, comprehensive firearms training that is the same caliber for you and your employees as they train law enforcement officers. Call Roosevelt Scott with Triple Threat Solutions today at 661-374-1180 and sign up for a private session in his state-of-the-art laser virtual shooting range for only $45. For one hour, you and three of your employees can use this state-of-the-art indoor air-conditioned laser virtual shooting range for only $45. Call Triple Threat Solutions today at 661-374-1180 or go to triplethreatsolutions.net. That's Triple Threat Solutions at 661-374-1180 or go to triplethreatsolutions.net. Who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business leader who is a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world, not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. A visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A visioneer gives value first because visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a visioneer? Join the visioneer tribe at Small Business Celebration on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you might find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. That's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. If you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. Also, if there's a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on LinkedIn and Facebook and let us know. 
Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business. <laughs>